So good evening. We're going to take a little detour for a couple classes and discuss the symbolic significance of the demons that Lord Krishna dispatches. that symbolic rep- significance being Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur's description of those demons in relation to our devotional practice in his Krishna Samhita and uh, his referring to those Krishna, that Krishna Samhita reference uh, in his uh, Sri Shaitanya uh, Sikhsamrita. Now he discusses these in the context of giving the reader in both of those literatures of his instructions on how to enter into samadhi or or a firm meditation on the Lord's Eightfold Daily Pastimes. So although we may think this is an extremely high topic, and it is, undoubtedly. It is ultimately our objective. And if we fix this objective as our firm intent during our practice of sadhana bhakti, then there's uh, every likelihood that we will not be led astray onto some path which is uh, not our ultimate objective. We know exactly where we're going and we keep focused on attaining that destination that will be good for us in our devotional practice. And interestingly enough, in dealing with these 20 obstacles to, to entering into a complete absorption in Krishna's Eightfold Daily Pastimes, in seeing these 20 obstructions and putting them in the context of the demons that Lord Krishna dispatched, the sadhaka, the practitioner, is able to, to use those occasional pastimes and the remembrance of those occasional pastimes as not only a a source of affectionate attainment to the Lord, because by hearing about Krishna we become attracted to him, but also understanding how significant is the Lord's personal involvement in our spiritual progress. Who's killing the demons? We're not killing the demons in Krishna's Leela. We're observing the demons being killed. In a similar way, 
we pray through these pastimes and through the remembrance of these obstacles, we're praying to Krishna in his different manifestations of of changes of age. He dispatches different demons in different stages. And as we would become more and more affectionate to a child as it grows in our presence, similarly in our devotional practice, our affection for Krishna grows in a way that's somewhat symbolized by Krishna's growth from childhood to boyhood to young man, adolescence. Our affection grows more and more. Certain of those portions of his pastimes are more affectionately looked upon by uh, his devotees, his associates, his eternal associates, uh, depending on their specific relationship with him. But still, the overall significance is there of our affection growing for Krishna, as it grows for a child, as the child gets older, we don't lose affection for the child. If anything, our affection becomes deeper and more more significant. Uh, so as I said, Bhaktivinoda Thakur talks about Krishna's dispatching the demons, and he, he, symbol, symbol, he gives some symbolism to those specific demons, and he equates them with different obstacles in our devotional path. All with the objective, and the way he puts it is, uh, I'll read what he says from the Shaitanya uh, Sikhsamrita. Krishna's activities are of two types, daily and occasional. In Galoka, all the eightfold pastimes unfold daily. In the earthly pastimes, occasional pastimes are joined to the eightfold pastimes. So Krishna has his eightfold daily pastimes, but these occasional pastimes that are displayed in Vrajabhumi, when the Lord appears on the earthly plane, when he manifests, not by himself, he actually brings his eternal abode here. Well, actually it never left here. It's always here. It appears to disappear when the when there's a wrap up of the universe and appear again. But, and he brings all his eternal associates, so inconceivable, uh, but not unappreciable, not understandable. Uh, although the Lord's pastimes and uh, knowledge of them is inconceivable. It's not that as we become more advanced, we're not given entrance into a deeper understanding of these esoteric items, these esoteric uh, matters. They do not always remain inconceivable although they're inconceivable according to our qualifications to understand them. But not everyone is fully qualified 
to understand the depth of them. So we need to qualify ourselves and we need to stay in good association so that misconceptions do not come into our practice and into our understanding of who is Krishna, who is their associates, what are the Lord's energies, parashya saktir, vividaya, all these different energies, how do they interact, what's their significance, which ones predominate, which ones are subordinate. Uh, so these things are extremely important to our devotional practice. And we stay in good association and we hear from the from uh, advanced devotees so that we can remain fixed in this understanding and we'll find in Bhaktivinoda's explanation of these occasional pastimes of killing the demons that fold into the eightfold daily pastimes that a lot of it has to do with keeping the right perception uh, the right as Guru Maharaj says conceptual orientation to keeping our approach to these leelas an approach to the practice an approach to the various tattvas that make up the siddhanta of the sampradaya that we follow all these things if we can just keep them in perspective our progress will be will be will be firmly fixed even though there may be difficulties due to so many some scars and material conditioning if we can keep a proper philosophical understanding and base our practice on a firm foundation then even when there's some difficulty due to this or that or some uh, weakness of heart or weakness of of, uh, of being drawn again by Krishna's external potency even those weaknesses may come and they may go and during the stage of initial bhajana kriya characterized by anartha nivritti anarthas and some of the anarthas and our practice ourself creating Upper rods, these stumbling blocks that make it difficult for us to even stand and walk sometimes. But if we stay in the proper understanding, we will develop the firm faith in the philosophy that will take us through any difficulties that we may have. Krishna's coming to and going from Vraj and his killing of the demons are occasional pastimes. They're related to his pastimes in Vrajabhumi. Coming and going, going away. In Galoka, he may go behind a tree or he may go off somewhere to, to well, to tell his friends he just wants to have a look at what's going on. Uh, he'll be right back. Um, they are unavoidable for the devotee these occasional pastimes still living in the material world these occasional pastimes are present in Galoka 
in an indirect way, but are actually present only in the material world. So there's, there's some sense that there might be a demon around the corner. There's some sense that Comps is sending some some adverse uh, situation our way. There's some sense that Krishna may leave, but he never does. But he might. That in itself is is enough to break their hearts. <laughs> in in Galoka? Yes. Mm-hmm. There's a sense. Only in an indirect way. These occasional pastimes, which are unfavorable for the practice of meditating on the daily pastimes, are unfavorable. They're unfavorable for meditating on the daily pastimes. Are given a symbolic significance. So when we hear about devotees going to winding up their material existence by going to participate in in Bhumi, in Krishna's pastimes, in the life. They get to go in a life and attain, uh, uh, attain association, direct association with the Lord and His eternal associates. Uh, that's, the, that's the winding up of whatever influence the material energy may have upon them. And by that time, it's pretty pretty much all gone. But still, there's some more cleansing going on. Some more loving coming into us in that association of Krishna's expert lovers. We're learning how to really love. By remembering those pastimes, the devotee aspires to destroy his own sinful conduct. So as I said, we're talking about a very high stage here. We're talking about seeing Krishna's Vraj Bhumi pastimes as an impediment to entering into full absorption in his eightfold daily pastimes very high esoteric principle here they're looked at as an impediment by someone like Bhakti Vinod so therefore he wants to he takes them and he says what's their significance what's the symbolic significance of these pastimes because when I'm trying to meditate on the eight we can imagine what the eightfold daily pastimes the relish that that somebody entering samadhi is getting there, and then he then he remembers Krishna childhood pastimes, and he sees that as an impediment. Why is this coming to me now? I'm trying to enter into this very deep meditation, but this pastime is also very sweet. I've been studying this pastime's been part of my devotion for so long, but now. As Bhakti Rakshak Sridhar Dev Goswami says, devotional advancement constitutes a continual reassessment 
and an acceptance of new and a rejection of the old. We're continually progressing. So very high things are being discussed here. But very practically, they're being discussed in a way that we can see their significance in our own devotional practice, even, even at the stage of anarthanivriti, nista, ruchi, asakti, still we can see, well, these things are here, these impediments. And if we start to recognize them now, that's a good thing for us. So therefore, I'm going to go through them. Bhutana, the infancy of our spiritual life. We finally come to the stage of inquiring who we are, why we're here, what's it all about. And we recognize there's a necessity um, to take guidance from someone who can really help us we realize the significance of Krishna's instruction in Bhagavad Gita. Tadvidi pranipatene. If you really want to know the truth of Tato Brahma Jignasa, how did I get here? Uh, if you really want to know these truths, Pariprashnena Sevaya. Inquire. Uh, sincerely, render some service, Upadekshanti te jnanam, knowledge, that knowledge will come from someone who's firmly situated. You come close, they will give you this, this highest knowledge. Because why? They've seen the truth. So we go looking for that guru, naturally. Who can, who can guide me? So in our infancy, as in Krishna's infancy, um, there's a likelihood that someone who's not qualified will put themselves forth and say, here I am, I'm your guru. Like Bhutana came, here I am, I'm your nursemaid. But her intent was not to nourish the child. She said had some malintent. Actually, she had the worst intent. So, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, he says, if you see in the guru this tendency to nourish you with bhukti and mukti, bhukti being material enticement, here you come, you have good life, good this, good that, you, you come to me, I will teach you how to enjoy the world of man, of this world, the manus world. I'll teach you that. Or mukti, bhukti, so, bhukti or mukti? Mukti, well, I'll teach you how to become liberated. This is a poison to our spiritual, our true spiritual life, which is a life of, of giving and not taking. Bhukti means I take from this world for my pleasure. Mukti means I renounce this world for my pleasure. So it's still, whether it's bhukti or mukti, it's still enjoying ego, not serving ego. 
not loving ego, not giving without an expectation of return. The guru, the true guru, gives without the expectation of return. That's the plane of spiritual life. That's the plane of loving unconditionally. That's really something to strive for. It cannot come from the false Putana guru. He's not going to be able to nourish us. Now when we come to spiritual life, we look for the guru. If we're fortunate, we'll get someone that's qualified. But we come with much baggage. We've been here since time immemorial. So there's, there's much baggage with us. And there's a cartload of baggage. It's the way Bhaktivinoda sees this uh, this demon, the cart demon, trying to weigh down uh, our involvement. We're always trying to carry this. Well, let me. I maybe I can take this stuff with me. These conceptions. Maybe I can take this with me into my spiritual practice. Uh, perhaps Bhaktivinoda specifically refers to the majority of the paraphernalia in our cart as not so much our material attachments but as our false arguments. We come to spiritual life generally with a sense of what it actually is. And we carry a lot of misconceptions with us. So we think we know the truth. We think we have it worked out. This must be what spiritual life's all about. That's hard for us. That's hard for the guru, first of all. We've all heard the the explanation that uh, that someone, the teacher, took on a student, and the student would be first quizzed, well, what do you know about the subject that you want to learn from me? And if the student said, I don't know anything, okay, that's good, you can pay this amount, very inexpensive. And then another student would come, uh, and what do you know about this subject? Well, I, I pretty much know everything there is to know about it. I may even know more than you do. Oh, well, tuition is ten times normal. Because I have to, uh, you have to unlearn that. I can't teach you anything. You're carrying a lot of false ideas in your cart. So the false guru and our own false ideas. So these are the first two obstacles. The bogus guru and the false ideals or arguments we have in relationship to what is spiritual life. Then he goes on and Train of Arctic should be next. 
Yes, well, he was speaking of Trinavarta in relationship to what we just spoke of, the whirlwind. And now he goes on to uh, Sakata. Rewind, erase whatever we said, attributed to the cart, make it the whirlwind of our false arguments. That makes more sense anyway, although Bhakti Vinod's put it in a different order. I foolishly assumed it was in the same order. Uh, without studying thoroughly, but okay, Trinavarta, Trinavarta, a whirlwind of false arguments. Now we come to the cart. There he talks about those who do not understand the purpose of regulative principles, but simply carry the burden of following them without, out of formality, are able to develop an att- attachment. So here he's talking about a cart of regulative... It's a burden. We talk about a burden of regulative principles. Not that we're not going to carry the regulative principles, certainly going to carry them, but we're not going to do it in a burdensome way. Niyamagraha. Following the rules and regulations just to follow them, or neglecting the rules and regulations because they're inconvenient for me. The rules and the regulations of devotional life are meant for one purpose, to increase our attachment to Krishna. And that attachment can be increased by decreasing our attachment for everything that's not Krishna. That is their purpose. They're not to be... They're not to be a burden there to be a blessing Krishna refers to the rules and regulations in the Bhagavad Gita as the regulative principles of freedom not something that's meant to crush us like a cart but something that's let us live freely he brings up the regulative principles a few places when it comes to explaining the demons and what they represent. So much so that he he approaches it from both sides. Well, one demon, if you try to neglect the regulative principles, this demon is is having an is you should see this as detrimental to entering into your into your samadhi, your love, your deep appreciation for for Krishna Lila. And then he'll say, here's one here, okay, the cart. The cart means carrying the regulative principles and not recognizing that they are to be used simply to enhance your attachment. So this is it's a it's an important point for us. And he also brings that into play in relationship to sectarianism. Your regulative principles are better than mine, or mine are better than yours. Well, because I follow this way and you don't, then you're really not the devotee that I am. So these come into play in different ways. So how do we want them to play in our devotional lives so that they're not a burden and they're not a mixed blessing that they're actually what they are intended to be 
a facilitator of loving attachment. Then he goes on again to touch upon Vatsasura. Vatsasura came as what? A grandy? No. Hmm? A calf. calf. He snuck amongst those that Krishna and Balaram were protecting, giving shelter to. So, Bhaktivinoda Thakur brings out in this regard juvenile offenses is the wording he uses. This is the fourth obstacle. And if you read the way he presents it here, we see what he's trying to convey. And understand that he even says in, in discussing all these various demons and their symbolic representations this is extremely esoteric so let's look at this what does this mean juvenile juvenile and basically what he's saying here is their juvenile offenses their offenses related to our material mind and body that we make they're going to come naturally in our budding spiritual life they're going to be interfering but we should see them for what they are they're really insignificant in the whole of the picture of advancing spiritually not that they're they're not that they're not going to interfere but we should take them they're not they're not a mature problem they're their material attachments they're sensual attachments they're material mentalities that interfere with us but they're they're not going to grow into anything unless you give them more power than they should have in your life. It's the psychology of our attachment and the conception or misconceptions we have in relationship to spiritual life. Oh my Lord, I fell down. I, I, I had a bad thought or I... I I again um, engaged in a bad habit. My spiritual life is over. I'm never going to be able to do this. this. This juvenile resistance to what is the full prospect of spiritual life, what, what's the nature of a juvenile? What do we call them? Teenagers. They're rebellious. They want to fight. You cannot... It's hard to make friends with your teenager. It's hard to make friends with these ideas regarding our... They want, to, they want center stage. And it's all about them. Isn't it? It's all about them. So these bad habits these terrible thoughts it's all about them and why don't you see it my way 
<laughs> this is this Vatsasura. We have to see them for what they are. They're just arrogant, puffed up desires that really will grow in we do not want them to grow into something significant. If you let them, these anarthas can become uparads. Because if we start justifying them, then we start what? We engage in the seventh offense to the holy name. Committing sinful activity on the strength of chanting. So, occasional fall downs, they're going to come. Bad thoughts, greed, lust, anger. It's going to get the better of us once in a while. These juvenile things that are going to come into our practice from time to time have to be seen as what they are. They're just, a na- they're part of the, of the nature we have and are enjoying ego. And we have to keep them in that perspective. And that is this demon, Vatsasura. So you just like accept them and then move on? You don't dwell on them. Once you start feeding them, once you start feeding them, then they will start taking, they will take, they have an unlimited appetite like a teenager. So the more you feed them, the, you know, the more powerful they'll become. Adolescent is, is the word he uses. I think we can take the directive of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur in this regard. Now, forget the fact that we said teenagers because Otherwise, I'll be accused of, of encouraging uh, <clears throat> uh, punitive action. Set that analogy aside and look at the reckless nature of the mind. Bhakti Vinod said in the, in the morning, I will beat my mind with my a stick, in the evening with a shoe, or the other way, does it matter? a stick or a shoe we we have to see yes these things are going to come so this is the fourth obstacle we come forward to Bakasura and Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur in Krishna Samhita he refers to this as the fifth obstacle is a personification of cheating religion. This is called Namaparad, offenses against the holy name of the Lord. I'll just read it. Those who do not understand their qualification, don't know where they stand in spiritual life, and this is specifically indicative of, of the, the Kanista. Kanista doesn't really see the distinctions. Uh, in fact, he, he just, that's, 
That's one of the characteristics. But accept the instruction of a bogus guru, not knowing your qualification, being attracted to that guru which satisfies your whims, and engage in the process of worship meant for exalted devotees, are cheated like ass-like people. Again, we're reminded a few times in studying these specific symbolic representations as Bhaktivinoda put it put them forth in his literatures is the time of the day that he was in. In the culture he was in, and this this is there for for all the Acharyas. They adapt the message according to the audience. So we see in the way he explains the symbology of these demons is influenced to some extent by that. And what was the climate of the day for him? There were a lot of bogus gurus putting themselves forward as Vaishnavs who really wanted to jump ahead and they encouraged their disciples to not progress firmly on the path as delineated by Rupa Goswami Shraddha Bhajana Kriya Anartha Nivriti Nista trying to immediately go to the to the platform of of Bhav or even Prem, thinking, "Well, I can enter into the loving meditation on the on the on the uh, eightfold daily pastimes. Why do I need to clean my mind? Why do I need to clean my heart? I can just go here. Give me my mantra. Give me information about my spiritual position. You're a guru. You have to know this. Yes, I am a guru." So the falsity on both sides, very troublesome. At his time, this was a very troublesome thing. And so troublesome that what? Vaishnavs in general in the society of that day were not very well respected. So he, in looking at Bakasura, he's giving a, a caution here. Don't jump ahead. Don't think that you're more qualified than you actually are. And don't accept anybody that tells you you're more qualified just as a matter of playing into your own illusion. Very practical and again, as I said, very esoteric. Who's going to be, who wants to think that deeply about it? Hey, there's these Babaji's down by the Kund and they can give me my mantra, they can give me my, my, my characteristics and tell me if I'm a Gopa or who, which Gopi, Manjari, who, who I'm following, what's the Ragatmika that I as a Raganuga am, am, am going to serve in the spiritual realm. Let me immediately go there. I will chant all day and immediately enter into these pastimes. Yeah, that's a nice thought, but have you actually cleansed your heart? 
What about the Chato Darpa Namarjanam? Is there any of that? Did you consider that? So if you're not considering that, if you're not willing to, willing to follow what the Goswamis have left us, if you're not willing to, to tread the path, and the path is a glorious path, even the hard parts are glorious, you're cleansing yourself of material contamination, and these contaminates that Krishna is cleansing are never going to hamper you again. Having once gone there, you do not come back. We're talking about permanent, permanence in spiritual life. Not that we want relief from the suffering of material existence, but we sure would want to be able to love in a way that it was totally reciprocated. Not like all the love I give here and everybody just simply, it simply falls flat in due course of time. And even if it didn't fall flat and it was the 70th year reunion of husband and wife, then one of them dies. And within a few weeks, the other one dies because it's over, done. So even if all your love is, is well put, in this world, it's, it's not well rewarded. This is our fifth obstacle. Interesting terminology here okay he's talking about those cheaters the cheating gurus and and in finishing up this particular verse he says such people deceive the entire world by making a show of sectarian formalities and pseudo renunciation much in there to be thought about so I thought we would make more progress but I think uh, I think this will take a couple more classes than I anticipated. But I think it's time well spent, and these things we should go into deeply. And I think going into them deeply and going into their significance in the esoteric manner in which Bhaktivin gives credit to Bhaktivinoda's directives in this regard, that we really take what he's saying to heart, and in that way let him you know, give us this deep understanding. Uh, it has to be good for our devotional practice. So we've made it a quarter of the way. My time's up for this evening. Are there any questions about any of these? Yes? I have a comment and then a question. Mm-hmm. I can see it with, uh, like, the regular principles being considered principles of freedom. Because like if you're after, well if you're gambling, you're throwing away all your money and you just have to keep trying to get more money. Or if you're chasing women, you're wasting all your money there so you just have to keep working harder. Same with intoxication and I guess you spend a lot to try and eat meat. That was just one thought that came to my mind. It is actually freedom because you're not having to work so hard to do those things. Okay. My second question, or my question is, you know, with the North and the Ritti, is it that, you know, if you're able to actually overcome any of these Anarthas, that they won't take place in your next birth, or will you have to do it again? Krishna says two things in Bhagavad Gita, doesn't he, in that regard? 
A little advancement on this path will save one from the greatest danger. So a little advancement is there. If our heart isn't completely cleansed, two things I think are important. First of all is understand Krishna is dispatching these demons. So we're, as we come to the platform of steadiness, as we go through a north of Nivriti, we actually realize all the hard work we were doing in our in our in our devotional life, struggling, we would call it struggle, which seems kind of hard at times. So this struggle to be Krishna's devotee. Once we actually are benedicted with the relief from these Anarthas and we're not plagued in our in our in our chanting uh, by operads. Now operads aren't fully dispatched until until we actually have Krishna's personal audience, according to Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur. That's when that completely, absolutely is the terminology used there. But as we come to Nista, we realize how significant this was. And that's when true humility overwhelms us because we recognize as much as we have suffered since time immemorial from all these Anarthas, being free, the, being free of the Anarthas and being able to actually glimpse a spiritual practice which is steady, it overwhelms us and we become more humble than a blade of grass more tolerant than a tree, devoid of all false prestige, fully respectful of everyone. We're overwhelmed by the fact. So during the stage of Anartha Nivriti, we think, oh, we're working, so we're struggling. But when we actually see what's accomplished, and again to Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains there that uh, I carry what they have and I provide what they lack. That's how, how affectionate Krishna is to his devotees, to those that, that try to revive a loving relationship with him. Even if they are very weak in their attempts, he, he helps them immensely uh, through the agency of the guru, through the sadhus, and uh, personally. So, does that answer your question? Anything else? Thank you so very much.